What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon. This is John Suntress uh, with an important plea for 2023. Uh, you probably read the headlines. Uh, Word Balloon took a sponsorship hit that was pretty significant. And uh, I'm asking you if you've ever been a fan of Word Balloon and considered Uh, making a donation through Patreon, uh, a very uh, meager but important subscription. I hope you'll consider it. Um, it's going to be a challenging 2023, and uh, I need your help. So if you like Word Balloon, if you enjoy the content, I'm not going to slow down and keep bringing you some excellent content, but uh, I could really use your help via Patreon, patreon.com slash wordballoon.com. If you can afford the price of a comic book, if you can even afford a dollar a month, it would be greatly appreciated and uh, help the cause to uh, keep Word Balloon going at the level and intensity that I've been doing uh, in the last uh, four or five years and uh, bring you a lot more content and uh, a lot of great uh, interviews and interesting things about the pop culture world. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. I could really use your help. Thank you for your attention, your time, and listening to Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by AlexRossArt.com. Alex has been a longtime sponsor of Word Balloon. I greatly appreciate it. You got to go to his website. You will find tremendous art from original work, covers, pages, fantastic lithographs, amazing posters. Every price point is covered and every subject is covered at AlexRossArt.com. You've enjoyed his iconic looks at DC and Marvel, but also great stuff like his wonderful work on the monkeys, Monty Python, so many other great pop culture things that Alex has put his fingerprints on. His wonderful Flash Gordon poster that evokes the fantastic Dino De Laurentiis, Sam Jones movie. Recently, Alex did things like uh, the timeless Marvel covers featuring great solo shots of all your favorite Marvel heroes. And of course, his Fantastic Four full circle graphic novel still available. All waiting for you now at alexrossart.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's time again for Scene Missing, uh, another uh, special edition of Word Balloon where uh, uh, the Scene Missing crew uh, all uh, pick apart uh, a movie. Every movie that you just saw the lobby card for there, infinitely better than the movie that we're going to <laughs> discuss tonight. John Suntress, Gabe Hardman, Ian Brill, and uh, tonight we're uh, we're talking about Oh, Otto, what did you do from uh, 1968, guys? Right? 68, yes. 68. Uh, uh, Skidoo. Uh, Otto, Otto Preminger's attempt at comedy. Emphasize attempt. Yeah. 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 And it, and it, if you know anything about Preminger, it, 
it, it comes out about how you would expect with that with that lightness really? of touch that everyone knows, everyone associates with auto crunch. Oh, yeah, I actually have a theory about why he did this, uh, but, I, yeah. but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because. Uh, First of all, like if you're so people are going to watch this and say, guys, if you're so down on this movie, why are you talking about it? Uh, the fact is, this movie, uh, culturally and historically, uh, there's a lot to discuss, uh, artistically, not so much. <laughs> um, but it comes at a very peculiar time in Hollywood. Uh, in fact, I was listening to uh, the video archives podcast, the uh, Quentin Tarantino, Roger Avery one. And Tarantino says, like, there was a year where he tried to watch every movie from 1970 because they had this theory that, like, 68 and 69 is when New Hollywood and Old Hollywood were battling out, and 1970 was the year that New Hollywood won. One year. Uh, and they were, they were talking about the private life of Sherlock Holmes and how, like, Billy Wilder is one of the old Hollywood guys that were now outside of the mainstream, even though they were once the mainstream. And this is a movie that uh, is in a similar um, bifurcated place where you have uh, a story about hippies and you have a story uh, intermixed with a story of old gangsters. Um, and you have a lot of old Hollywood stars, comedians, and it's directed by a uh, who at the time was like a famous director, which is a rare thing. It's like him and Alfred Hitchcock were like, the people who like regular people could name as like directors. Um, and, but also Otter Preminger was all, well, Hitchcock, I guess was also an actor, but Preminger would, they know him from like Stalag 13. Yeah. But he was a kind of relentless self promoter as well. Yeah. Which is, which is strange for the fact that his, uh, his persona was being sort of this autocrat, you know, like he was not, his persona was, he's not a friendly guy. Maybe he's murdered some people or whatever. Like he's, he was like, like, like every time he's on a, you know, on a talk show or something like that, it was like, they were, you know, like somebody would make a joke alluding to the fact that he's kind of, he's some, somehow a terrible guy or something. Cause that was part of his persona. But, but also like Hitchcock, a maverick that was willing to test the waters and do controversial stuff. The yeah. Moon is Blue was mm -hmm. a very, for its early 50s time, a promiscuous movie about a woman that didn't mind having unmarried sex. And it was, I forget who the woman was, but it was uh, William, um, God damn it. Um, shit. Uh, Sabrina. Younger, younger no, actor. William Holden. William Holden. Yeah. William Holden. And, and yeah, and she's just doing this great band of, well, it's great to date a lot of men or whatever. And and I remember my dad, one of my favorite stories about old old movies with my father, Anatomy of Murder, which focused on a, a court case about rape. And my dad's like, you've got to see this. And the whole time he's like, this was banned in Boston in 1958. And other cities like, this was like considered a dirty movie. And it's tame as hell. It's about rape. And they say, uh, Jeremy Stewart has to say panties. Which is kind of controversial. Many, many times, many times. They say panties in that movie more than uh, any other movie. Ever ad made. Advising consent, the great movie about the hearings to appoint a new vice pre president. Um, it uh, it has a, it has a homosexual scene, a gay bar scene. That again, this is early '60s. I mean, this is hot stuff. So you would think, with that kind of experience, that maybe Preminger would be a guy to take on the culture versus counterculture ideas in a movie and not so much. Well, no. those movies were serious. 
Yes, I think that this is an enormous part of this. Yeah, that he that he's just not he's he Preminger, you know, he German emigre director. He you know he actually had a big career in theater uh, prior to getting into movies. Uh, was brought over here in the in the mid to late thirties, I think, and uh, by Fox maybe, and um, he and yeah, by Fox, and he uh, ended up, you know, he was he made a couple of he did make a couple of comedies early in his career, which I've not seen, but you know, that was literally thirty years prior to this. The, and, the Moon uh, is Blue, you could say, was kind yeah, of a right, right, right comedy. Right. So yes, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, and um, but the uh, but then. You know, John's right. He did. You know, he he was somebody who pushed the you know the boundaries of uh, you know of what censorship would allow at the time, or at least you know the the production code would allow at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was very adamant about that, and uh, not necessarily like proud of it, but he was very much a booster for opening things up. He you know in in all of the appearances that I've watched uh, with him, when people would bring this stuff up. You know, or people would complain about uh, about there being too much explicit material in uh, in contemporary uh, you know movies and TV, like uh, Lucille Ball did on the uh, you know Irv uh, Cupsonet show uh, with uh, you know with with David Mamet and and Otto Preminger and Ashley and, uh, uh, and uh, Elizabeth Ashley Elizabeth the, Ashley, yes, which is crazy and totally worth that's, seeking out. Absolutely. Um, My God, that's great. And that's uh, after Skidoo. That's yes, that's Skidoo. like 10 years after Skidoo. Yes. And, yes. Uh, the, but like, it's, it is interesting that he's such a, like a defender of the idea. He's the only one who sits there and goes, I, nobody agrees with me about this, but I think that things are better that they're more open and that they're, you know, that you can show more things and that you can make movies for adults that, you know, deal with adult subjects. And, you know, and he, he very much is like, you know, he's he was from, you know, he was German and he was, you know, he was very aware of, you know, violence brings up fascism and Nazism frequently. And uh, and, you know, says that he does, he's never made violent movies himself, but he won't. You know, but he thinks that people should be allowed to do that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that that's I think he's a really interesting figure. I think that he. Uh, he, and he's also, you know, for an older guy like that, uh, you know, he was a progressive, right? He was a progressive at, a, at, at that point in time. And he, you know, and he's trying to make these movies that express that. And, you know, presumably that's what he thought he was doing with Skidoo, but just everything went very well. Yeah. And that kind of um, one of the things the film um, suffers from, maybe not even on a story level, but just on a uh, just the level of ambition going into it feels like um, older folks with maybe all the best intentions of the world trying to get down with the younger kids and it just not working. Um, we, uh, we should describe the plot, even though well, I'm going to be I, honest. I, uh, I, real, well, yeah. Good luck in describing whatever the hell the plot was, but real fast, it really was in the zeitgeist at yeah. this time, not just in film, like the beach movies would occasionally, uh, try to be the old folks trying to figure out the young kids and stuff and TV, both sitcom and variety. I mean, here's Jack Benny and uh, Bob Hope uh, in an episode of Bob Hope variety special with the beach boys. And look, we're, we're being hippies. You see. Yeah. And then, po- uh, possibly their moms. I- I'm not sure. <laughs> and, and then uh, here's uh, Lucy and Vivian Vance from a Lucy show episode uh, and their attempt to be hippies. Uh, which yeah, I just yeah. they're more like biker, yeah. but, but yeah, yeah. Sure well, yeah, be, yeah. Well, again, the yeah. misreading and yeah. inflating beatniks with the hippie generation, 
Yeah, I mean, well, so if, again, Ian, if you want to try to summarize the, uh, please, you know, yes, it's, story, it's, which actually is kind of straightforward in a weird way when you think about it. But yeah, it's, okay. a, it's a weird. It's weird that it's um, if if it belongs in any genre, I suppose you can say gangster picture. Yeah, um, but then it's just flying out in any every direction. Jackie Gleason um, plays. Uh, a retired mobster. He used to be what is known as a torpedo or a assassin for the mob. He's retired and it now goes under the assumed name of Tony Banks. He's married to Carol Channing Flo, uh, who used to be a gangster mall. And he, uh, Jackie, one of the side things is Jackie Gleason is always worried about, uh, his wife's, uh, former paramours. He, uh, the, the the guy is obsessed with it, and yeah. uh, he's obsessed with the idea of you know like who else has possibly slept with his wife if somebody else is the father of his daughter, and uh, you know and like and cuckoldry in general. Yeah, that that is a uh, bit of a running. I don't know, walking slowly, Why? skipping. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then there are um, hearings in the Senate about organized crime, and uh, one of the mobsters who's in prison is Mickey Rourke. His name is Blue Chips Packard. He has decided Mickey, to... By the way, that's Mickey Rooney, not Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rooney, not Mickey Rourke. <laughs> which, which would have made it a much more interesting movie <laughs> yeah. had it been Mickey uh, Rourke, but go on. Mickey Rooney, how could I forget? He's the most talented uh, yeah. performer that John Frankenheimer has ever worked with. He's decided to go state's evidence. He's going to, he's made a deal with the government. He's going to squeal on the entire operation. So he is, uh, Tony Banks is uh, drafted by the mob to get himself arrested, to get into jail, to kill Blue Chips Packard. Uh, the head of this operation, this organized crime operation, is named God. Uh, he is played by Groucho Marx. Um, and um, when uh, Tony Banks is in prison, he shares a cell. Well, one, he shares a cell with two people. One is Malachi Thorne. Uh, the, no, no. Oh, no. who is it? It's uh, it's uh, Michael Constantine. Michael who, Constantine, uh, who yeah. is the if you'll and again we will do this for certain actors in the movie. Michael Constantine plays the lead's father in the Make My Big Fat Greek Wedding movies. Yeah, he's uh, Nia Vardalis's uh, father. You know him from that. He in the seventies he was the principal on a very uh, progressive uh, sitcom called Room Two Twenty Two. Uh, great character actor. I didn't grab a cap of him, but I can if we need to. But he is also, yeah. In a oh, Star yeah. Trek. He's in Star Trek, right? Michael Constantine, he's in was he, so. was, for some reason I'm getting him mixed up with Malachi Thorne. Uh, yeah, Malachi Thorne, Thorne, very different. He, he was uh, Commodore Mendez. Batman. Yeah. Um, um, yeah another, that's who I was thinking of. Michael Constantine also in his a great odd couple move uh episode where Felix wants to get uh, his a watch that he had given to Gloria re-engraved, and Michael Constantine is a crook that uh, helps him get the watch after the watch has been stolen. Uh, great, very funny character actor. Good in drama, good in comedy and stuff, and kind of does nothing in this as uh, Gleason and his other cellmate. Oh, but because- he does have a little uh, stinger joke about being a rapist at the end of a scene. Yeah, so there's that. which is always prime for comedy, indeed. See, yeah, well, after Autumn Preminger got all that heat for Anatomy of a Murder, he was like, maybe I'll actually do some rape jokes. I mean, Come on, rape is funny. 
Yeah. Uh, the other person that Tony Banks shares a cell with is um, a young man played by Austin Pendleton, which tells you how old this movie is, that Austin <laughs> Pendleton is playing a younger man. He's the youngest member of the cast, um, who is was an agitator, uh, I believe, at Berkeley. They're in Alcatraz, by the way. Um, and... Uh, he this this younger fellow he does acid every part of his stationery is dipped in acid which is a big plot point i didn't know you're allowed to keep your stationery when you're in prison but yeah. apparently or, in this movie you do or waste um, all your acid like that i mean you know <laughs> before before we stray specifically from austin pendleton again for modern reference and everything because the movie is literally on cable every month either on commercials or on uh, non-commercial cable. He is the stuttering lawyer in My Cousin Vinny. There's Austin there yeah. next to Fred Gwynn and yeah. uh, his 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 uh, very funny scene. Uh, wonderful. He's, he's also in the Muppet movie, right? He's the yeah. uh, oh. the the uh, like Doc Hopper's sort of valet uh, driver guy. Yep, and uh, and a guy that um, I want to say came from the Second City improv world, as far as you know, one of those early sketch mm. comedy improv guys you know in in the formative years of second city yeah he, I don't, I don't he is great uh in the very underrated last season of homicide he takes over as the chief me uh michelle forbes had that role she leaves and so obviously you bring in <laughs> another statuesque beauty austin pendleton sure. and he fits <laughs> in the role with a glove he is great uh it's kind of a weirdo uh emmy but uh he he is good in that um, and so Tony Banks, oh, uh, Jackie Gleason has an acid trip, which is one of the big things this no, film is known yes. for. Uh, he starts having, he doesn't want to kill blue chips, chips Packard. Now he has this whole, um, uh, just rethinking of his entire life and, uh, career in organized crime. And so, uh, Alexandra Hay plays, uh, Flo and Tony Banks, daughter, she's in hippie. She's checking up with John Philip Law, who people might know, well, one, as Diabolique in Danger Diabolique, which I think is a brilliant movie. Uh, he's also the uh, angel in Barbarella. Um, uh, he, uh, you know, how an angel has no memory. Uh, he uh, and God decides to kidnap uh, Alexandra Hay to put pressure on Tony Banks. And so you have the, and that's how you have the organized crime world Clashing up with the hippies, and it's uh, sounds like a laugh riot. I would say it's a riot, but not I, okay. Well, so I mean, it does. The, the one of the weird things when you go to when you come to watch this movie is that, like, for all of its sort of notoriousness for Jackie Gleason, you know, acid trip, and you know, and all the rest of it, it's the movie is very stayed and to the point of being kind of turgid, you know, and you wouldn't really know. I mean, if if it wasn't sold that way to you, like if it didn't have a poster, if it didn't, if you, if, if the, the kind of hippie stuff wasn't up front, I don't even know if people would think of it that way so much, you know, it's yeah. like this kind of like not funny gangster movie thing, but like, it's also not really like, I mean, I, okay. So I've been watching old uh, episodes of Siskel and Ebert. I don't know why, but like, well, I'm, I'm drawing a comic and I'm like, you know, and it's the kind of junk that I have on endlessly. Right. And Gene Siskel had, uh, I mean, I don't know, possibly just the, I mean, look there, I know that they're, you know, that, that, that it's a, it's a, 
you know, that, that format was really important for people and, and it got people into movies and all that sort of stuff. And that's great. But the things they actually say are not great. Right. <laughs> like, the, you know, it's, it's, they're not, hey, you're you shitting know, on my buddies. Easy. I am. I am. I'm totally teasing, but, but yeah, man, I'm I mean, not, I'm not I, I running down, but I'm not well, running but down I... like the print work or their writing. Right. <laughs> like, you know, uh, which is what people mostly, you know, like if you yeah. like them, that's what you like. Yes. For the most part. But the uh, but like the idiotic suggestions that Gene Gene Siskel could have about uh, about how to fix movies that he thought were were bad. Uh, anyway, I'm going to do that very Gene Siskel thing right now and uh, and say like if this movie was a drama, it might have been a better movie, right? Like it seriously? No, really. Think about it. Like it's like the only effective moments of this movie are stuff like when Arnold Stang is murdered. Or yeah. when, and they're totally tonally outside of what you know what this movie is supposedly the supposed tone of the movie is. Arnold Stang's murder, or after Jackie Gleason's crazy acid trip, when he just sits there and like Gleason gives like a genuine moment and cries, and you know, and we're in close-ups, and uh, Austin Pendleton comes over to him, we pull him over in this close. It's like it just feels like the only thing. I mean, Preminger could make great movies. He did make great movies, yeah, but he also Laura. could have a real like uh, ham fist about stuff or he could just, he just didn't have a light touch. Right. And so definitely this kind of, uh, you know, the, the this, this kind of like his staging gets in the way of everything. His, you know, uh, it all gets in the way of all of the comedy, but like, I genuinely think there could be a movie that we weren't all as embarrassed by if this were a drama. Uh, I completely agree, and I have a theory about why this is a comedy. By the way, I have nothing to back up this, and I've not seen any text or reporting that backs this up. But this film is from 1968. 1963, Stanley Kramer makes It's a Man, 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 Man role. Did I get that right? It's like yeah, five? Uh, four mads. I'm yes. Sure. Okay. Four mads. Yes. Uh, it gets madder every time mad, I see mad, it. So mad, I have to... mad world. Yeah. Um, he, Stanley Kramer had a similar rep as Preminger. It's very serious message yeah. movies. He makes comedy. Yeah, clunky staging. Not a, not a great director. Go ahead. <laughs> he makes a huge comedy, and it has a bunch of comedy. Oh, and there also is sort of a crime angle in that, and the fact that they're going after an old gangster's treasure. Right. Right. So, I wonder if he, if Preminger felt inspired or threatened or envious of what Kramer did. Uh, and this was his way to make it's a mad man. That's mad very world. interesting. Yeah, sure. But well, and also hand- the amount of stars in Mad World. Yeah, also equates with again everybody. Just look at this poster, and uh, you got to know your '60s nerd uh, celebrities. But truly, Frankie Avalon, who we haven't mentioned yet in the movie, Fred Clark was a big sitcom star. There's Mike Constantine, Frank Gorshin, the Riddler, yeah, John Law. Coming off of Barbarella, Peter Lawford, Burgess Meredith, George Raft. I'm doing this for the audience. Three, three Batman villains. Yes. George Raft also in Batman, uh, the great gangster actor, Mickey Rooney and Groucho Marx. Uh, Yeah. I mean, and and Jesus, we haven't even mentioned, uh, I'm sure we can go more into it, but uh, Harry Nielsen uh, doing the soundtrack. and, uh, and, And I mean, that's the thing. It absolutely represents 1968. And what disappoints me, as you said, and no, I, please, Gabe, in a moment, but truly, again, the, the acid trip, as you said, turgid. And it's like 
God, this is really at the height of psychedelia. And you would think that if Otto was like, well, I'm going to do this, he would really go further. And he does things. I mean, Jackie sees his cellmates uh, shrink as he's talking to them. And that kind of freaks him out. And of I, course, he's got yeah. he's got the crazy uh, Greek Gleason bug eyes yeah. while and, he's uh, while he's tripping. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Also, the, he sees uh, Groucho Marx, the God character's head uh, on a screw uh, spinning yeah, I around, which I, I believe is uh, some... I, I think that they're just reaching for some Freudian sort of uh, yeah. something or God is screwing him. I, I don't know. Uh, the But like, here's the thing about, so I went back and I read some uh, reviews, right? Okay. And uh, some contemporary reviews of this. And uh, one of them, well, I mean, one of them's, you know, who I was just running down, Roger Ebert, uh, again, not talking about the print work, but, um, but he, he kind of, he looked at this as, you know, it's, and this is, this is kind of like a, a thing that, uh, you know, uh, came up over and over again in, in the, the reviews of the time that this, that in 1968, oh, here's Groucho Marx and the yeah. screw, uh, he, over and over again in these reviews, they, they, they say that they think that in 1968, this stuff is out of date. Right. Like they are, uh, you know, the book, you know, Roger Ebert, Vincent Camby, and to some degree, uh, Andrew Saris and the Village Voice all more or less say that this stuff is kind of like like the, the world has moved past this already. Right. And that uh, that I mean, Roger Ebert says, uh, you know, hasn't hasn't Otto Preminger heard the, the hippies are on speed and uh, and who who paints uh, who who uh, who does body painting anymore. Right. So, I mean, people are kind of looking at this as not not, oh, this is the height of psychedelia, but like this is the downslope of this stuff in a certain way, you know, and uh, whether that exactly turned out to be true or not in the end of 1968, that's what everybody seemed to think. Um, I mean, I did think that, uh, you know, uh, the you know, and Vincent Camby uh, in, in The New York Times really played up 
just that the thing we were talking about before about, you know, him being a showman and that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that his sort of reputation was getting in the way of this or whatever. But the, the most interesting one to me was uh, Andrew Saris, uh, the Village Voice critic, who, um, who was like, actually, you know, for a good part of the review, very complimentary of this movie. Uh, he like uh, he talked about, uh, you know, the great compositions, he, you know, uh, about Gleason. And I mean, you know, I think Gleason is doing, you know, what he can here. Absolutely. Uh, and, totally but, agree. Uh, the um, and, but and he praised this movie for it not falling into that that sort of uh, category of like the crazy psychedelic thing. Right. He said he said uh he praised the movie for not, you know, not being one of today's fragmented stream of psychedelia and mini montage, meaning fast cutting, I'd say. And uh, like, it, you know, and then, then he goes into the bad stuff, which is basically uh, there are no laughs. And, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, that it's a spectacular stylistic uh, failure on the order of Hitchcock's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So, like, that was well, a Hitchcock comedy that, uh, you know, that people don't like. Right. Robert Montgomery. Uh, yeah. And um, and then he goes on to like run down Carol Channing uh, and and, and why not that, that because... Alexandra Hay uh, remains the most uh, unpromising ingenue since Zeta Johan. And I'm going to I'm going to take exception yeah. to that, a because my dog is named after Zeta Johan. But, That's uh, hilarious. You know, by but, the way, you can notice on uh, on Alexandra Hay, uh, her body paint. Which I love. There is another uh, hippie that has body paint in the movie that clearly is naked. And Alexandra Hay, uh, they seem to paint over her uh, yeah, her yeah. underwear um, uh, in, in addition to uh, the rest of her body. But, but yeah, anyway, she is, the, she is pretty the, blank. She so is the thing blank. though about the thing about this with Andrew Sayers is like he he ha, he ha, he desperately wants to say positive things about this movie, and the reason I think is because he's like the biggest proponent of the auteur theory, right? And that's what Preminger is. And Preminger actually is like the only guy of his era who not only kind of is an auteur, he is in control of these movies and he constantly talks about being the one man in control of the movie, but he is he basically goes around promoting himself as an auteur and none of these other old guys would touch that stuff with a 10-foot pole. But like the fact that he was so... Uh, you know, that he embraced that idea. It's like, you know, that means that, that Andrew Sarris, it's like, he's, you know, he's got to be his buddy or something, right? He's, a, he had, he's like in the club. So he has, he feels like he has to defend him, even if it's pretty obvious that that, that stuff is. That's very outstanding. Carol, let's spend a moment on Carol Channing, who God bless the woman. I suppose if you saw her on Broadway, she must've made magic. And truly there are great, artists that are great on one platform but then you put them lenny bruce never made a great comedy album but his live comedy is renowned uh there's you know and carol channing obviously singing broadway you know hello dolly and broadway musicals is wonderful but oh my god i mean it's just icky in this movie and and i mean it's still young enough that i suppose in one scene uh she tries to seduce frankie avalon or not whatever, or put him in a compromising position while she's trying to get information from him about Jackie Gleason. Yes. While That's, her daughter is there. 
with her daughter coming over. Well, I don't yeah. think she realized she's not there yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, it, but yeah, she performs a striptease and truly, as I warned everyone on social media, please don't eat while watching this movie because yeah. it will really disgust you. And, and she's just, she's just I, look, I'm going to, I'm going to defend it. A, I'm not going to defend that they actually did that scene. Okay. Uh, but like uh, the, um, but I think that like, I mean, a, that's what she was being asked to do, and she was doing it. Well, sure. Uh, but the, you know, and B, I'm not so, I, I I actually just don't find it as incredibly repulsive as you do. I mean, like, it's, I don't, I find the scene depressingly embarrassing yeah. that they no, would, but it, that they would ask her to do that, and that it goes nowhere, and that it's so, like, incredibly just uncomfortable of, yeah, a, it's of a thing. But, I mean, a little less so on the, well, I, I find Carol Channing not as, I mean, like, he, her persona is a little obnoxious, but well, that's like, what I mean. Uh, you know, it, but I don't know. I don't. I don't find her as un, totally un, without charm as you. Well, and but, and uh, she's playing ditzy gun mall. I understand that, but it is that whole that we saw in many talk shows and many variety shows. Certainly, I did of the seventies growing yeah. up. And again, it's based on her rep as this amazing Broadway star, and she was. She brought the masses in, but right. oh, how you doing? Well, I mean, You're but this also. It's like this also just wasn't, uh, it's not, it's not, things aren't played big in this movie, right? Like even Jackie Gleason is playing things very low key, you know? And, uh, you know, like, yeah, it's, she's, she's really miscast for the tone of this movie. Totally. Yes. You know? And like, but look, I don't know, you know, like, uh, like uh, Jeff Parker said, uh, I think that, uh, that, I, th I think Frankie Avalon is a, a charisma void, you know? Like, I don't, th I think that he, he's not, uh, like, and that mustache, yeah, mustache. He, should just, he should go to prison for that fucking mustache. Yeah, why I mean, would like, he is that, going like, to prison? That should have been a whole he should be, story. He should, we should be locking him up in the Hague. It's awful. Like, what's wrong? What's going well, on it, there? It is links that him funny? It, it now makes, no, it makes him look more like Cesar Romero's son, who I believe oh, he's going to be. But, and also, again, timing this is not that long after the beach movies. And as much as we laugh at uh, Frankie, by the way, another guy that I've had the pleasure to meet and a great down to earth guy, despite his uh, cheese oh, and okay. certainly ill fated mustache in this movie. <laughs> but I mean, he really like, again, it would make sense on paper that Frankie makes the beach movies. So he is already relating to the kids. This would make a good idea. No. Not really. Yeah. Not at all. You know, he's also playing one of the gangsters and, you know, he's on well, the conservative yeah. side. You know, it's a weird, I don't know. It just doesn't work. Uh, but he just doesn't work. He's not, I just don't think, I mean, look, I'm sure he's a great guy. There are plenty of great guys in the world, but well, they don't I, all, uh, you I'm know. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I, well, and I'm also saying, too, that whether he was aware of it while it was happening, and I think he was, a lot of the cheese that Frankie was making, he's like, yeah, all right. You know, I mean, he, he was. Oh, well, look, I'm not blaming him. I just think that it's not. You know, I just don't think. You know, it's not a personal attack. I mean, no, no, I no. And I realize like that. Well, and also, truly, had the pleasure of spending an afternoon with them and told dozens of beach movie uh, stories, making those movies, and that's why. And again, well, he, totally. And I'm sure it's more fun to listen to those stories than it is to watch those. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. he, he had these great Hollywood stories because Jackie Gleason discovered him. So there's also that mm, link be. beyond making Skidoo yeah. where and, and he really was one of those younger uh, uh, actors and, and singers that absolutely fit with the nightclub set of the previous generation. 
He's on Lucy shows. He's on specials with George Burns and Bob Hope and everybody else. He knew everybody. And it was like, yeah, Frankie, that kid. Yeah, the boy singer. Get him. You know, he's in the uh, – isn't he in the Alamo with uh, – I don't know. That sounds right. John Wayne? I think think he is. I think he is. So, yeah. Oh, so one gentleman – I think – I want your opinion on this. I think one of the reasons why this film feels – so, like such a, a mis misshape, like such a, a just a, a failure of ambition, is because there's the very very beginning feels like it's going to be a different and better movie when they're flipping through the TV channels, um, and you're seeing these different commercials, and you're flip you're and you're seeing some of the the news of the Senate hearings on the mob. They show one of Otto Preminger's old movies. There's a satirical commercial about a family buying guns and even the dog has one or something like that. You think this is going to be a much more satirical... You think this is going to be like Putney Swope, which yeah. is actually comes after this movie. And you'd be like, oh my God, did Otto Preminger make Putney Swope a year before Robert Downey Sr. did? Yeah. Except then... It, that you never gets that spirit ever again. Great, and you're like, wait, that was that was something. Why can't they cap- capture that for the rest of the movie? Yeah, I, did, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that the um, you know, like that's Thank that you. is a great point. Uh, the, I mean, I, I, it, I, I mean, I just there is just no likeness to the movie though. Like there, there is, and there isn't a satirical quality to it too. I mean, like what is? I actually do wonder. What they're after in this movie? Well, like, that's you what take I was it too. seriously, or I mean, not seriously, seriously. But if you go, what what story are they setting out to tell? What point are they trying to make? What where are they going with this? I have no idea. Like, I mean, I you know, Preminger seems you know, Preminger isn't isn't satirizing hippies even, right? I mean, apart from this this kind of very weak shit about you know, boy and girl who has long hair type stuff. That's and I think like we talk about like oh this is the older generation meeting the hippies. Um, even though I think Austin Pendleton does um, turn in a good performance, none of the younger characters are really developed. I could say no. maybe there's just background. That's why it yeah, just right. feels like that's, it's it's a gangster movie that has yeah. this this like that, patina yeah. of of you know fake psychedelia to it. They are One, set dressing. This this image yeah. kind of shows you. Other than them being there, that's essentially what the hippies are there for. And uh, and at one point early on, to get uh, their daughter back in the house, Channing invites her commune to come and stay with them. And she's literally in the kitchen sink washing long-haired hippies' hair and stuff. And it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's again. What is and it? And say with this that story? that particular scene uh, when I was watching it, I think that that's a clinic in bad staging. Like uh, the, you know, I mean, at least for for comedy, right? I mean, yeah, not, you know, yeah. you know, I think that Preminger had a sense of what to do with the camera, but didn't know how to modulate it. And so, like, uh, you know, the there's just an awkwardness about the. They're all on camera right, and then a guy has to awkwardly like get out after getting his hair washed, get out of the shot also on camera right, and just it's it's troubling, right? Like, and uh, you know, and I do think that this is kind of like uh, it's a movie you could watch and go, okay, so this isn't how you stage comedy. I mean, even in, like the way you know you could watch uh, you know a a not quite uh, you know a movie that's not so. Um, 
not so great for contemporary audiences from a similar time, The Party, the uh, Blake Edwards movie, and see great comedy stage, great big, you know, like, you know, holding things in a, in a master kind of comedy staging, uh, you know, that, that Preminger is trying to do here, I guess, but just not succeeding in. Uh, I do have a theory about what I think um, they're going for, although I will say this is never um, uh, uh, explored as much as it could be. But I think one of the reasons um, Preminger and the film writers, Dor Doran Willem William Conan, who had a short but notable career, he also apparently wrote the original screenplay for, um, what's the Robert Altman movie with Bud Court? Oh. Oh, uh, oh, uh, Bruce and McLeod. Bruce and McLeod, but then Altman and rewrote it. Yeah. And Doran Conan um, uh, blasted him in the papers, and then uh, he just became a creative writing teacher, um, which is fine, by the way. Uh, and but the reason why I think they they combined um, this gangster thing with the psychedelics thing is because uh, what was happening in the country, nineteen sixty six. Uh, California and Nevada had outlawed LSD, and then by '68, the year this movie comes out, it's federally um, outlawed. And then perhaps, um, maybe the 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 most embryonic idea that this movie is you're taking um, prohibition gangsters from the 18th Amendment prohibition to this new prohibition, and you're kind of they're kind of meeting. Um, that's I'm giving it more exploration than this film ever does, but yeah, I well, and mixed with that, that's something of it, mixed with the Bobby Kennedy going after the mob type stuff, and things yeah, like that, right, yeah, the hearing, yeah, the, the um, television hearing scenes with uh, Peter Lawford as uh, as the senator. Here's him in the yeah. prison with, by the way, Burgess Meredith as the warden. Uh, yeah, those are, and of course. Uh, in earlier in the decade, uh, like you said, Kennedy going after the mob, the Keith Offer Commission going after organized yeah. crime, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, the, the witch hunts of the fifties. So that kind of uh, congressional hearing, very different from today's congressional hearings, but yeah, uh, you know, yeah. in the in the in the in the air, and certainly relevant, I suppose. You know, I just yeah, I do really feel like there's something like there there is a different movie in this it's there's a not inherently bad more yeah. dramatic movie yeah. in this i think it's just got to dig like well, it's well it just wouldn't be this movie but it would you know but like if if you're going to make a movie about this subject right like the you know it, and you think you're going to make a comedy out of it what what is why what what was driving them to make a comedy out of it because i don't even i can't see that really in the material and and really, one of the few bright spots of the movie is Harry Nielsen's music. I sure. Think. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, because it has, you know, it's instantly identifiable as Harry Nielsen. Yes. Those melodies it's prime and poppy the, you know, Nielsen. Uh, and it's prime. It's, you know, uh, he's in the movie as well briefly. You know, uh, he sings the end Hart. credits, which uh, is hilarious. That's another. Yeah. And of course, God does not come soon enough. But at least. It ends the last two minutes of the movie is at least Harry Nielsen performing the credits, right. which is right. fun. Although but, yeah. Carol Channing performing the Skadoo theme song yeah. has may never leave my head again. Yeah. Right? That's, like it, it, that's, and what that's I'm saying, not so Dave. good. She just nails on a chalkboard. No, she yes, but it's is. just I'm just saying that song. Like I don't even 
you know, that, you know, skidoo, oh, stop. Like, it's just, it's Harry Nielsen, you know, in this, in this instance was, you know, like had the, the hooks and everything to a fault because like, it's, it doesn't, they don't help anything or go anywhere, you know, like, it's just, I don't know. I like him in general. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm not knocking Harry Nelson. You know? He's the man. No, he was great. And again, this is, this is him at his, I think, height as far as output of uh, music. Well, and he was also a little bit of the, you know, of like a professional hippie in Hollywood too. Yes. Like he was kind of yes. like they would, you know, it, it's like he's the safe enough guy, the guy who was in somebody's Rolodex who, you know, who they could call on to do something hippie-ish, you know, and, and in addition, sitcom or whatever. Yeah. In, in addition to recording his own music was making – commercial jingles you're absolutely yeah. right yeah. was an establishment hippie essentially yeah exactly yeah, better yeah, yeah. description yeah. yeah no definitely the Can thing I like to look up oh uh, that's funny jeff says uh this movie could have used jimmy webb another right. contemporary of oh yeah right, right. of course did <laughs> up up and away in my beautiful balloon among other great songs so yeah i do it, it's strange. I do. Well, do I recommend people see this film? I, I recommend you see this uh, film if you're interested in this era of history. Um, but I do recommend for anyone who's a fan of the pop music from this era to look up the credits. I believe that's just been isolated on YouTube. You start with, oh, it's kind of a microcosm of the film in a whole. You, you have um, Austin Pendleton and Groucho Marx in a, a little boat and uh, Groucho Marx is uh, sparking up, which is, uh, I suppose, one notable thing about this. Is this his last movie, by the way? It is. It, it is. is. Boy, that's the last image of in, I in the film is, is uh, smoking and, that, and again, what a, what a missed opportunity because this era of Groucho, despite the shoe polish in his hair, uh, Groucho was still vital at this point. There's a, there's a wonderful, uh, honestly, craft uh, music hall celebrity roast of Johnny Carson. And yeah, it was made for network television, so it's safe, but it is Groucho at his high point, And it's around this time. And it's just, it's such a great Groucho monologue speech that would have fit in any Marx brothers movie and could still make it happen. And he was talking about, he was a guest on Johnny Carson's show and he goes, my dressing room, he goes, it's the only dressing room I was ever been in that had 12 sinks. And, you know, essentially that he was dressing in the men's room and everything and just jokes about that. And, you know, he's like, last night I tried to watch the Johnny Carson show and uh, Jerry Lewis was hosting the Johnny Carson show. Three weeks I tried to watch it. I was hosting the Johnny Carson show and just making fun of the fact that Johnny yeah. was never there. Yeah, and it's good. yeah, I mean, so what a missed opportunity to really have Groucho when he could still bring it bring it on. And uh, yeah, I mean, although the shoe polish of it all, he does, he looks older for the fact that, you know, he oh, yeah. has the, sure. you know, the, and, and he also, he has the grease paint mustache as well, which he wasn't even doing by then. Yes, right? Like, you're right. Uh, you're right. It, which, which is a real odd thing. Uh, but, well, um, you know, when he was on Cavett around this time and later in the 70s, he started wearing that uh, golf cap yeah. that had like the three balls on top. And he said, he even said, the reason why I did that, he goes, I was running around in the late 60s wearing this ridiculous toupee and slapping uh, shoe polish on my head. And he goes, it just looked ridiculous. And finally, I'm like, all right, I'm bald, but, you know, whatever. And he's like, this is why I wear the cap now because of looking as horrible as he does and things like Skidoo. Sure. Um, one thing I, I want to recommend uh, about is uh, if you're 
interested at all in the auto preminger of, of this is uh, there's a um, I believe it's at UCLA. It's a um, it's one of those kind of uh, they, they did a lot of these apparently in the late sixties where they they invite somebody to lectures. give a talk, a lectures. It's, yeah. it's more of a Q and A than a lecture. Although Fantastic. he barely takes questions, he just answers forever. So um, the but like uh, he uh, there there's one with Preminger talking. And uh, ostensibly about Skidoo, although almost no one, nobody has anything. Oh Skidoo. wow! I, I, you know, I wish it's, I it's at that. the time of you know of this, but mainly they're just talking about politics of the day, and um, you know he's uh, you know, and I think he has some interesting things to say in it. Uh, he does. He does in there. Somebody asked him about Groucho Marx in Skidoo and uh, why Groucho Marx wasn't in the movie more. And uh, and he says, "Well, you, you've you've got to understand. He's a much older man than you realize. He, he can't remember the lines." Uh, so um, the, uh, he's not tactful, right? But <laughs> wow, <laughs> like, uh, but like he uh, uh, it, it is interesting. I, I I recommend checking that out and also checking out uh, the. The Irv Kupsinet show with uh, with uh, Preminger, uh, Lu- uh, Lucille Ball, uh, David Mamet, and Elizabeth Ashley, yes. uh, where where Lucy is going on and on about the um, uh, about how you know the the people don't like clean, good, wholesome stuff anymore. They like violence and you know uh, well, and blah blah, blah all that. Because and uh, you know while while Otto Preminger a hundred percent disagrees with her and calls her bitter. And uh, and uh, and uh, and David Mamet tries to illustrate his point uh, in a uh, with, with a story about uh, you know uh, doctors in India telling fairy tales to their patients in a way that no one understood whatsoever. So like it, it, you know it was it's a it's a real it, it's an interesting conversation. Irv Irv Kupsinet, the host of that show, would put these weird con- combinations of people together, and they ended up being incredible. Uh, dialogues between them all. I mean, literally would have uh, Mamie Van Doren with a nuclear scientist. And so what do you think of nuclear proliferation, Mamie? You know, just crazy shit. And there's only a handful of these cup episodes. They were on public television in Chicago and they would start at like midnight and they would go as long as uh, cup felt Right. Like doing, there was no set in there. There is a bit in there. There's a bit in there where Lucille Ball says, "Like, I think we better go to a commercial now." And uh, and Irv is like, "We don't have commercials, Lucy." And there you go. Just keep going. There you go. Warren uh, Drummond points out, and I don't remember this, and I'm a massive fan of this film. He says in IMD, Groucho has an uncredited cameo in Robert Redford's film The Candidate. That would be his last movie. A better way to go out. Um, I, I suppose, and it's funny. Mentioning Jackie Gleason in this movie, uh, Jackie, of course, made the Smoking Abandoned movies, including the completely unwatchable. Boy, if we ever want to really go down this path, Smoking and the Bandit 3 is certainly a candidate. There's a lot of story there. There's a lot of story and, there. And There's, there was a whole other movie that got uh, <laughs> that, that they would have been a much better drama. Again, but, yeah, yeah, would have been a much better drama. But it, I guess to get uh, Jackie Gleason to do nothing in common with Tom Hanks, Gary Marshall is like Jackie. You've had a great TV and film career. Don't let Smokey and the Brand- Banded 3 be your final movie. And Because he was in Failing Health. And Gleason's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and, he's, and he's great in nothing in common. So, uh, yeah, and again, uh, that's so funny that uh, I'm glad that Warren points that out. Now it really makes me want to uh, rewatch The Candidate and look for Groucho. Hey, uh, Jakuro, good to see you. Uh, 
and uh, Jeff, Jeff's comment here about uh, um, Jeff, about poor you know, Arnold Stank. About Arnold Stank. I do actually think that, like it, this, the scene. Look, I, tonally and everything, it's fucked for this movie. But the the reveal of Arnold Stank shot in the head in the uh, you know at the, uh, the, the, car, the wash. car wash. Pretty I mean, hard. It is a little chilling. And then in the you know in the acid trip, Arnold he. he Jackie Gleason uh, uh, hallucinates Arnold Stang telling him that he had sex with Carol Channing and is the father of, uh, of, of Jackie Gleason's daughter. It's nuts, right? And I think nuts in a much more interesting way. There is something crazy in this movie that 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 never quite works out. But like, there, I think there are things of interest in this movie. But it's but it, but it also bummed me out. I didn't particularly enjoy watching. It. Arnold Stang, uh, the co-star of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first movie, Hercules in New York, and on cartoons, the voice of Top Cat, the great Hanna Barbera Sergeant Bilko ripoff, in the same way that the Flintstones is a ripoff of the Honeymooners. And uh, yeah, no, Arnold Stang, great performer, and I was. I knew he was in the movie. I'd never seen it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And then he gets bumped off in like, you know, the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange. Uh, so it's funny. Um, John Wayne was mentioned earlier. Um, he does not appear in this movie for better or for worse. Probably. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Oh, oh, well, it's oh footage. There's, there's it's footage. footage of him in, in harm's yeah. way, I believe. Uh, it looks like it's in harm's way. Yeah, that, I think that's uh, what it, the other Neil, uh, movie that he made with Brandon uh, DeWolf, and uh, and I want to say uh, Kirk Douglas as well. But like, yeah, where he's like older Navy uh, captain and stuff. But yeah, they when they're flipping channels, you do see John Wayne in the movie. And that's a, um, I, I suppose I will give the film with this credit a clever um, link to the end of the film because uh, Groucho Marx lives on a boat uh, to, to stay uh, 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 away from the law. Yeah. Uh, and that the actual boat is John Wayne's boat, apparently. Oh, that's uh, awesome. The, that's the Great yeah. Goose or whatever it was called. Yeah. Wild so Goose. One, it's strange to think that John Wayne's boat was uh, taken over by hippies, albeit um, Hollywood hippies. Um, that And there's a marriage. There's a weird thing where you think Jackie Gleason's daughter is shot and like there's a suspenseful thing and the during this crazy melee which is another thing about how you have this weird tone in the film where you're just like it, it, it's supposed to be this I don't know all out um, you know thing a riot on the boat like a funny thing where it's like all these hippies are on the boat and they're messing things up and then like you like do you think this girl's been murdered for a second but then you see she's not it's, uh, just the film you know, and I also want to point out because, uh, again, it's a it's a almost nothing uh, moment in the movie. But Frank Gorshin is great in this, in the same way that a lot of his '60s performances. Yes, he was amazing in the as the Riddler in Batman, and he really was. But yeah, every now and then, right? they would give Frank Gorshin a straight role, and he would nail it. He would nail it in everything: TV shows, movies. He was much a much more talented guy. Than just the maniacal laugh of the Riddler, and yeah, I love. I mean, but he's he's also a guy that you gotta. It's the, it has to fit the tone because he's gonna 100%. go way the fuck over the top, oh, yeah. no matter what. So like you know, uh, in his weird way. So like if that's you know, I mean, but that's what making a film is and directing is. You cast people for the you know 
and you hope you got to be able to manage that tone. And, and, you know, Preminger couldn't always do that. You know, he was, he was the one who was notorious for, you know, for like, uh, I think, you know, yelling at a screaming at some, at an actor to relax, you know, I mean, like he, he's not, he was, he was not a, he didn't, he wasn't a delicate guy. Yeah. It was that warm fuzzy. Definitely no. not. And dead terrorized a lot of actors. Absolutely. There actually Roger Ebert, um, before he wrote his review was on the set of this movie and, and has an article you can read. I put it up on hmm. uh, my Twitter. God knows if you can find it. Twitter's all fucked, but, uh, um, uh, where he was on, and it's it's mostly about Otto Preminger scaring the shit out of Carol Channing and uh, Frankie Avalon. Um, uh, who knows? I'd like um, to recreate that moment. You're scaring the shit out of me, Otto. <laughs> with that voice. But I think you know, talking about Carol Channing's approach and Frank Gorshin's approach, I think the 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 just what this movie, I think in retrospect, what makes it feel so odd is because what we think of new Hollywood and what films became post sixties, post Bonnie and Clyde and, and um, post easy. Well, Rider. This is post Bonnie and Clyde. Well, sadly, it, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but pre uh, easy writer is that you had um, uh, uh, naturalism, more sense of naturalism in films and every, the older cast, which dominate the film entirely. Absolutely. Um, are, old time play to the rafters uh, performers Big that has its yeah. place, but that approach to something that feels modern or more modern than their usual material yeah. does feel weird. And it's also, I mean, just visually it's lit like a supermarket, you know, like it has that kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that, that like, generic sort of sitcom-y feel to the lighting as well. You know? Well, go back so, to um, uh, Robert Evans' kid, The Kid Stays in the Picture documentary and see the state of Paramount Pictures when he and Peter Barth take over and start making movies like Love Story and The Godfather and things like that. This is one of those Paramount massive bombs that, given the cast, I would imagine was not a cheap movie to make. And just yeah. the wrong movie for the wrong moment. Yeah, and among yeah. a bunch of other Paramount films that were absolutely sucking in a nine studio environment, they were 10th as far as the major studios yeah. go, as far as, you know, making good pictures or profitable pictures. Uh, yeah. I read, or actually didn't read. I listened to Robert Evans biography when I was um, probably like 14 or so. Um, it, it was actually all on cassette out of the, Thousand Oaks Library, um, and people had, it already had this legend and the way his voice sounded, and and I, I loved it. But because of listening to that biography, I thought that the movie The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight was a huge film because it is brought up a lot in that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this must be a legendary 70s movie. That's a big deal. Because there's a whole thing where like Pacino was doing it. And then we couldn't get him for The Godfather. And then De Niro had to come in. And I'm like, oh, this must be this gang that couldn't shoot straight. It must be a huge movie. Yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> Great uh, observations from uh, Jukarojo. Uh, first of all, he says, uh, Kier Duella. Am I saying his last name right? Kier Dulé, Dave from 2001 A Space Odyssey, didn't get along with Preminger when he worked with him 
on Bunny Lake is missing, which by the way is a great another great mid sixties yeah premature film. Yeah, it is. It's a really it's a really interesting movie. And then he poses the question, which of the films is worse, Skidoo or Myra Breckenridge? I would vote for Skidoo. I I have not I I I saw Myra Breckenridge at one point. I can't really remember it well. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, who made Myra bad. Breckenridge? Who? Uh... I don't remember who directed it. Rex Reed, of course, wrote it. Yes. And uh, and of course, Raquel Welch is the star. Yeah, and yeah. it's about, I don't know. And it's I, about a, certainly a both. Yeah, they're both in the area of, yeah. of desperation. And and it and it again, yeah, absolutely reads what was happening wrong. Yeah, but I would say it is a bit more of a coherent effort to tell the story they were telling than Skidoo in terms of I don't know what I don't know what you're trying to say with this movie. Yeah, I, mean, I think that there's there actually there's very little said in Skidoo. It's a it's like it it is sort of a straightforward movie that doesn't feel like it needs to be told because nothing nothing in it has any stakes while also not being funny. Michael Sarney uh, directed Myra Breckenridge, uh, which I've never actually seen. I've seen the trailer for it, and I know uh, I I did read a lot of Gore Vidal uh, also when I was a teenager uh listening to oh, that's right. yeah it's gore vidal, yeah. It's gore vidal I, sorry. I don't know why i thought rex reed wrote it but yeah of course no rex reed is in it yes, yes he that's, is. Right. That's, that's right there's my mistake of the, course funny yes, enough it's a gore written, vidal movie. yes I, I just looked it up it's written by michael sarney and david geiler who's mostly known as the one of the producers of the alien of the series. alien franchise yeah. yeah yeah he's um every time an alien film is made or a predator versus alien film him and walter hill get some money because they developed the down band script. Um, but before and that, apparently made some good deal that they were able to, you know, yeah, to, it's like that but... Michael Houston Batman deal. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, they don't let you make deals like that anymore. No. Um, but uh, before, before um, aliens were popping out of chest, uh, Rex Reed and was turning into Raquel Welch. Yes. Oh, that's right. Uh, of course he was. The, yeah. He was Myra um, before he became Myra. Absolutely. I, I saw the trailer before um, seeing uh, Fantastic Voyage at the New Beverly once, and that they played a bunch of Raquel Welch oh, trailers. Right. trailers? Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Too funny. I cannot believe that we managed to spend almost an hour. To, I, I thought for sure this was going to be one of those half hour, like, all right, what more can we say? This yeah, no, cool. I need to. Because, <laughs> you know, no, I, I, this movie sort of depressed me. Like, I just didn't, like, I, it did. I just feel like, oh, God. It was I watched slide. it twice, and I'm just like, ugh. So if because I kind of zone out at times, right? It's hard to, like, it's oh, hard yeah. to focus on a lot of the time. I should say, I've seen this in theaters twice. I have, I am wow. fascinated what? by this. Yes. Anytime I see it playing, I, 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 I'm... Like, like I said, I am fascinated by it. Here's the thing. It's not a movie made by amateurs. It's not a movie made by accountants. No. In fact, it's the opposite. It's yeah. a movie made by people who have, you probably have a two centuries of film knowledge uh, amongst this cast and crew. Yeah, Leon but, Shamroy lit that supermarket. <laughs> uh, Ernest Stronheim Jr. Uh, was the first AD. Uh, by the way, we know this because Harry Nielsen sang all their names in the credits. That's correct. Um, but to see it, well, I suppose in some ways it's uh, inspiring or comforting that so many talented people, so many accomplished people can still make something so lead-footed. William, William Friedkin had the classic quote, uh, to make a successful movie, a thousand things need to go right. Yeah, and they went and right for him your, about three or four times. Here's your proof. Yeah. What's that? Uh, they went right for him about three or four times. 
Uh, the, uh, more than most. Yeah, but that's more than exactly. No, I look. I always say you make one great movie. That's more than like you know than anybody else can say. You know, that's 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 enough. <laughs> Are we done? I think I think we're done. We yeah. can be done. Um, oh, we don't have Harry Nielsen to sing the credits. Yeah, if if Harry Nielsen, he would just sing our three names. It would yeah. be pretty short. There you go. All right, there's uh, G. Kuro gives us an observation about Myra Breckenridge, and we appreciate that, but uh, that's fine. Uh, we don't need that. We don't need to go further than that. It's just more Myra stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. I again, um, did Otto make another movie after Skidoo? Yeah, so I mean, he, one more. Uh, no, I think he made or a couple movie. more. I mean, he made the one with uh, um, uh, with Liza Minnelli immediately after this. Um, uh, what's it called? This is not worth spending the time on. Again, Tell me you but, love me, uh, Junie Moon. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, and I, I think he made a couple more movies. He made yeah. Tell me that you love me, Junie Moon, and then such good friends, which I don't know at all. Don't know that a, movie. A movie called Rosebud that I don't know at all. Don't a movie called movie. The Human Factor that I don't know at all. Now the Human Factor is vaguely uh, familiar, and I can't. Yeah, I mean that's well, I, it's that, a Graham Greene novel. Yeah, of it course. is based on a Graham Greene yeah, novel. Of course, and yes. it's 1979. 79, so, you know, which is a big gap. That's pretty amazing yeah. because the certainly in, in today's Hollywood, I don't think you get second chances after this kind of bomb. Yeah, although, I mean, the, there might, in some ways, you know, the industry was in such a bad place that I'm not even sure people got blamed on that level for, you know, you know what I mean? Like yes. it, it can be in a bad, in such a bad place that, uh, you know, that, that you can, uh, you can kind of get away with it. And he was a very established guy and he had, you know, and an independent guy for the most part. Well, he that did, he wasn't Gabe, really just a studio guy. And so, that's what I was know. wondering too, Gabe, if he had the clout, to still independently produce a lot of I mean, films because primarily he did independently produce his films. Yes, I mean, he did. That, and and he was one of the first people who really did that. And yes, you did. know, uh, and like, and he was, you know, he was sort of a trailblazer in that way too. There's a lot of interesting good things to say about Preminger, even though all his movies aren't great. He can be very kind of clunky and ham-handed, uh, but he, but he was definitely the guy in charge of them. And there's something to be said for that. Well, and again, much like you said about Friedkin. His great movies are great movies. Yeah, I think. he made Laura. I mean, like, right, you know, he made, right. you know like he's he made amazing movies. You know, and and by all means, everybody listening and watching, focus on those because those are good ones. <laughs> yeah, and here's here's what I'll say. Great. Watch watch all those first. You know, yes. watch all those before. Yes, that's and, that's and one of his uh, his episode of uh, Batman when he was one of the three Mister Freezes as well. That's right. Uh, that's this is a film with three Batman villains directed by a fourth. Um, that's the thing that I suppose that's one of the things that fascinates me is that you could watch Laura for this, and the idea that they're made by the same person is baffling, but um, certainly speaks to something of the creative process or the, the what can come at the uh, the wide uh, variety of what can come when people get together to make a film. Yeah, I would I would say four because Otto himself even uh, makes if not a full video appearance in the movie, an audio appearance. Yeah, at the very in the end. Film. Yeah. But yeah, you got Burgess, uh, yeah, Burgess, Gorshin, Cesar Romero, and Otto all being Batman villains. So where was Victor Berno? This way, why was yeah, why was honestly, Victor Berno? It feels like yeah, it feels like there's a deleted scene with him because like there's just no way he wouldn't wouldn't have been in this movie. <laughs> oh. Well, this is great, guys. Seriously, right. I this is great timing for me in terms of making me laugh today. And I 
Oh, what a bad movie. I, I, I really hope everyone that's watching and listening uh, spared themselves from the 90-plus uh, minutes of Skidoo to but, uh, to check this out. But Look up the credits. Look up Harry Nielsen singing. And, like, you see the video of it. Like, it's great. There's jokes in it. It's a literal song that's – when I say the credits, it's not like um, just, like, the the main cast, like you see in the beginning of a movie. Like, he does, like, the copyright. He does the crew. Yes, and yeah. he does the copyright. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hilarious. All right, there we go. Uh, we have no idea what our next scene missing is going to be unless the boys are uh, uh, already have some ideas. Oh, wait. Do, I'm sorry. There's Just to hang up the phone, on our last show, we did mention um, the that I wanted Gabe to see a Ninja Turtles. Or to, oh, that's right. We do need to do that? the uh, Gabriel Hartman watches Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, for the first time segment. Uh, I watched it. Uh, so I so I was assigned by Ian last time. Okay, so let's let's let me just tell you how this works. Last time, uh, I uh, I assigned Ian uh, a, a, a Kira Kurosawa movie to to watch, right? Because he hadn't seen a lot of them, felt like it was important, uh, and uh, Ian didn't do that. It's fine. He had good excuses. It's fine. Like I'm not going to give it. Right? We all get busy. Uh, but uh, I, on the other hand, uh, did watch. What was assigned to me, which was the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, because I will admit, I mean, I'm in comics, I'm in movies, I'm in all this sort of stuff. But like I was 16 years old when that movie came out. I wasn't going to go see it. Right. And I've really not engaged with a single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing in my life. I don't know anything about it, really, apart from, you know, broadly, culturally, the guys who made it all that stuff. Sure. And uh, so um, so I took on the challenge to watch this thing and uh and, uh, you know, I it's I mean, I'm a 48 year old man. I can't understand it. Right. I can't relate to it in that way. Like I can't I'm not going to I'm not going to to totally hook into this thing. On the other hand, I do think there was a certain amount of charm in it. And I and and I did really like uh, I did. I enjoyed the rat guy uh, who the rat guy. splinter splinter splinter. And a joke on Stick is Daredevil's mentor, and so Eastman and Laird called him Splinter, uh-huh. which is one of the things about TNT. It's was parroting a lot of things, and then it became more famous than what it was parroting. Absolutely, right. so, absolutely. And those but, original uh, black and white right comics are much more of a fun parody of like Frank children's yeah, entertainment right. that it right. became. Right. Absolutely. Um, the, yeah, but I did, I actually did. I mean, along the, the children's entertainment line, I liked, uh, I liked splinter. I liked, I liked the puppetry involved in the whole thing. Jim Henson stuff that, yeah. you know, uh, and, but particularly the, the rat puppet, uh, and and I liked the stuff where uh, where people were very genuine about things. Like there was some genuine emotion in the thing. The the turtles cared when they thought that Splinter died, right? Yeah, Raphael like the, yells at the moon. It's like yeah, it's, you know. I mean, like I, you know, a, a, turtle suit. A, a puppet turtle cries. You know, all that sort of stuff, right? But uh, you know, like I I did enjoy, I did I mean I appreciated that that felt genuine. Uh, I uh, but. By far, my favorite moment in it was a flashback that looked like it was shot on 16 millimeter where uh, where the rat when he he used to be a little rat, like a yeah. regular little rat who learned like, you know, martial arts from watching his master, even though he lived in a cage. And mm-hmm. 
and somehow was just hanging in a cage uh, nearby when everything happened. But uh, him learning, the tiny rat puppet learning martial arts is worth watching the entire movie for. Uh, that, that is one thing that blew my mind. Well, one, because I was familiar with the cartoon first. And the cartoon, he's a person who turned into a rat. But this is okay. uh, the film. It's a weird thing. The film is not an adaption of the cartoon. It's another adaption of the comic. They like they one studio licensed the comic for TV rights, the other licensed it for movie rights, became a whole thing. So the one of the reasons I suggest that um none of I it's it's not a uh a media a medium or a fan what do you what would you call it? Uh uh the Ninja Turtles whole franchise a franchise. Oh, franchise. It's not a franchise that has been served well by its um uh cinematic portrayals, but the first one is the best movie by far um and it is the closest uh adaptation to i suppose the original comics in the fact that it's um it's weird to call it dark because it's not like you know but it's it's it is it is uh it does have a, a a kind of a grungy new york feel i mean this is this is 1990 is the year after batman so yeah, it, I, it, I mean so, it, it, pardon me, and because I don't know if it was, did New Line have the movie franchise, and did Golden Harvest have the TV? Golden Harvest, no, Girl, Golden Harvest produced this movie as well. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, and yeah. Golden Harvest for people who don't know, massive martial arts film. Yeah, company. Jackie Chan. Yeah, yeah. yes, but yes. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I I, uh, I did think that it was it was a little bewildering to me that Elias Coteus was in this movie, mm-hmm. and who I know mm-hmm. of from. Adam McGoyan movies, right? Like, yeah, you know, I, and, uh, you know, the thin red line or whatever. And he is in one of the greatest television scenes of all time, which is the uh, intervention scene in The Sopranos when they do an intervention mm-hmm. for Christopher. Uh, that is one of the greatest things that have ever just been but, uh, transmitted onto a TV. But also, one of the young, like, young toughs from the, the foot and mouth disease clan or whatever uh was yeah, uh what? the uh was uh was sam rockwell yeah sam like, rockwell which, was, yes. like, what is that him what's going yeah. on you know yeah isn't it great uh, to see actors like that when they're babies oh yeah yeah and you're like hey fun. wait a yeah. minute yeah 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 like Gandolfini uh, in uh, true romance so anyway it's like wait a minute there's Tony totally there's a huge fight oh, with sure. uh patricia arquette um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, it was uh, like, obviously it's not exactly for me, but, uh, but there, there, there were, there were things about it I enjoyed. Does it make you, it does it make you curious to, um, well, one, I don't imagine it makes you curious to see any other Ninja Turtles films, but I will stop <laughs> you right there. Yeah. You should, I'm cutting you off right you're, now. You're, you're just not going to ask, ask does this it, question. Does it make <laughs> you curious to like, to like read the, maybe the, the original comics or anything like that or. Maybe, maybe I would give the original comics a read, although yeah. the parody aspect of all of it is probably the least compelling thing to me. I'm not that interested. I'm not that interested in parodies of stuff. I'm certainly not that interested in niche like, parodies, but, you know. Uh, like, unlike Gene Siskel, who would suggest every other movie should probably have been a parody. Like, that was his big, great I'm, idea. Every time. I'm glad you swung it back to Gene and Roger because... Matt Singer. I don't know if you guys know Matt Singer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. he's writing a book. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah he's writing. Yeah, he responded to me when I was shitting on Siskel and Ebert. Uh, oh, there you on, go. On Twitter. Yeah, and he's he's coming on Warballoon <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. And uh, no, I know that's one of his current projects. Oh, and yeah, also, yeah, of we, course, we talked about I think before um, Bill Simmons uh, Ringer uh, Network. Has that. Yeah, Ian, you may be aware of that, yeah. right? 
the uh, the great they they did a mini series within the Ringer. Yes, podcast, which I did listen to. Yeah, which I is thought that was excellent. Yeah, yeah excellent. it was really good. Yeah. So all right, it is. Yeah, I mean that was a show. I mean seeing that show as a kid, um, one of his coming attractions. At this point, it was just on ABC. Um, it was on like Sundays at seven thirty in LA. Um, yeah. Well, uh, there were a, it was a PBS show. Yes. Yeah, well, originally, indeed. sneak yeah. previews was yeah. the PBS show. Yeah. And then it, and then Tribune gave them a better contract, and it became Siskel and Ebert at the movies. Yeah. And then I forget their final distributor because they took them for granted. And well, oh, they went to uh, Disney. There you became, go. Yeah. 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 Went yeah. Went Vista. That's yeah. right. That's right. But yeah, great story about about that show. And Gabe, you'll forgive me. And again, I it's all good. And you're right. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to try and convince you otherwise, but truly they were gods here in Chicago media in the same yeah, way totally. that Pauline Kael was in New York and Judith Christ and sure. all the great, Look, all the great. I did, I'm not, I'll, I'll have bad things to say about every movie critic. Don't worry about it. You know, like, sorry. And you got to give distracting my dog with a ball. I, I just appreciated the balls that Cisco had when he was interviewing Paul McCartney about give my regards to Broad Street. That is and, great. And, yeah. and Paul's like, so basically you hated the movie and you're going to give it a shitty interview or review. Why am I doing this interview? And so this is like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, I don't I, care you know, my game. side of that is that Paul McCartney is a genius and uh, and he actually spent real effort and time on, uh, on that movie. He's not just some guy who sits around and comments on shit. So there you go. Yeah, but uh, Roger, the, uh, you got you to gotta give it to Roger for co-writing Beyond the Valley of the Dolls with Russ Meyer. That might be one to talk about. I would love to talk, talk about. about I could talk about that. I mean, if Ooh, this is yeah. going to turn into the shitty movies of 1968 I, and 69, yeah, God forbid, I don't even man. think it's a shitty movie exactly. No, I, yeah, I think I'm really into Russ Meyer. But I'm a Russ Meyer fan. I'm an aficionado. I've read, oh, too, I've read multiple hey, books on Russ Meyer. I like Dolly, reading oh, Dolly Reed, uh, going from that movie to marrying uh, Dick Martin from Laughing. Okay. Yeah. That's, sure. That's true. I'm just. All saying. right. Well. Uh, yeah. Maybe someday we'll talk about that one. Dolly Reed. Okay. Uh, cool. I think I, we did this. I think we did. I, I believe we absolutely did this. No, this was great, guys. Very funny. Uh, everybody, thanks a lot for watching. We will figure out what our next movie is uh, when we uh, reconvene. But uh, until then, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy. Mm -hmm.